Hello everyone and welcome to Black, White and In Color. I am your host, Shanoa Alamu. I love discussing topics that get people talking and sharing stories from everyday people. My opinions have been featured on CNN and Huffington Post. So please join me for this week's episode of Black, White and In Color. Well, welcome back to another episode of Black, White, and In Color. And I know I always say this, guys, but I really do consider all of my guests special. But I really do have a special, special, special guest today because we happen (laughs) to we happen to went uh, we happen to attend high school together, um, Overton High School for the Performing Arts out of Memphis, Tennessee. I was class of '89, and I think you were class of '90 right? Nope. Class of 89? Nope. 88. Yep. 88. Okay, that's right. Okay, because you go, okay. Anyway, because <laughs> I'm old. I have, right, I have Ted Wynn uh, yeah. with me today, and I just remember Ted, you know, he and I were both in the choir together. I was in the orchestra as well, but he was in the choir. Phenomenal, phenomenal singer, and I just remember just, you know, watching him in the hallway or actually hearing him in the hallways in school, just practicing his runs or just doing whatever, <laughs> you know, because that's just what we did. You know? Right. So we were, you know, let's, let's just be honest. We were talented kids and we knew what we had to offer and we were just like, any chance we got in the hallway, we would just kind of show off what we could do. We, um, we were the real life fame. We were the real life <laughs> Oh my gosh, yes, we were the real live fame. And so let me just, you know, I have to be legit here. So let, let me read his um his introduction. Uh Ted Wynn is a gospel recording artist and songwriter from Memphis, Tennessee, who first gained recognition as half of the award-winning Ted and Sherry gospel duo with Sherry Jones Moffitt, best known for their hits, Come Ye Disconsolate and Celebrate. Since 2009, Wynn has been a popular solo artist with chart songs such as The Lifter and God Believes in You to his credit. Ted Wynn released an album in 2017 called Stand in Awe, and two songs from that album hit the top 30 Billboard gospel charts, More and Grateful, and Stand in Awe itself made the top 10 gospel billboard charts. So let me officially welcome Ted Wynn to the podcast. How you doing, Ted? Thank you. I'm doing super. I'm well. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing doing fine. Now, to my audience, the major reason why I brought Ted on is because um, you would just have to be living under a rock if you're not aware of racial tensions and just um race relations in this country and really around the world uh, we had a most recent horrible event that happened in new zealand where a white nationalist white supremacist who um used trump as his motivation for killing um, muslims right in their own mosque i can't remember the exact number but i want to say about 49 to to 50 uh, individuals who were shot and killed 
um, ranged from ages three, I believe was the youngest victim, all up mm-hmm. to, um, you know, elderly. And, and I've followed Ted as best as I could. You know, he, he has really done a lot, um, you know, joined um, Kevin Davidson's choir shortly after college. <laughs> Um, you know, was a member of Donald Lawrence Tri-City Singers. No, um, no, no, no. I was a, a member of Richard Smallwood and Vision. Oh, Richard Smallwood and Vision. Okay. Yeah. But you and Sherry recorded a song with Donald Lawrence and Tri-City Singers. Nope. Sherry sings with Donald Lawrence and Tri-City Oh, my God. You know what? <laughs> I promise you, I was, okay, my bad. It's okay. <laughs> That's people always you but you know. No, it's just that people, lots of people get that confused because they see sharing that together. Wikipedia. I think that's what's on Wikipedia, though. That could be, but you know, anybody can put anything on Wikipedia. That is so true. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no worries. Yeah, I sing with okay. Richard Smallwood and Vision. I'm still, and I still sing with him periodically. Yeah, and as you all know, Richard Smallwood is just, just a legend. Just the whole, yeah. God. But anyway, so <laughs> I, I, I started noticing that Ted was being... Um, a lot more vocal about the politics and again as it relates to race relations in this country and it, and I was you know I wouldn't say I was yeah I guess I was shocked because you know he and I were born and raised in the church and so our minds growing up at least for me wasn't you know you're aware of stuff but then you know we're kind of taught you know that God is just going to take care of all of that and Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry about that. Just be saved and it all work out. Right. Uh, but Ted, I want to know um, how this all started for you. J- just this awakening. I know for me, it started in Ferguson. And, I, for, you know, again, it was the, the white silence, you know, mm-hmm. that I like to call it from the, from the evangelical church where they just weren't saying anything. And I was attending... Um, a white evangelical church at the time, and I didn't hear nothing. And I was like, "Well, are you know, we, are we one in Christ or are we not?" You know. So anyway, I want to <laughs> ask, how did it start for you? Well, for me, it started uh, initially when I when I when I got to Morehouse College. Mm-hmm. So that was a very interesting experience. I mean, growing up in Memphis, like you said, I grew up in, you know, um, relatively everything I did was connected to church. Yeah. So it be, and so because it consumed so much of my time and my mental space, I mm-hmm. didn't really think about things outside of that context. Exactly. And that, and that specifically was black churches. Yes. So people were talking about, you know, issues of kind of regular religious day to days, you know, preaching scripture, interpreting scripture, kind of instructing you on how to live your life and inspire mm-hmm. you to be, you know, your best self, etc. So right. going to Morehouse was, you know a non-religious space in that way. So it's more of a, it's academic. So you start right. to hear different ideas and different trains of thought. And I started mm-hmm. to hear people critiquing the world in which we lived in ways that I hadn't thought about before. Mm-hmm. Fast forwarding, I met a friend, a really close friend of mine now, who was at Princeton at the time. Uh, he was in seminary. And he's since graduated there in, a couple, in, a, in another, and Emory. But we mm-hmm. started to have these conversations around religion and church and again because he was a student at Princeton mm-hmm. his theological positioning was very progressive and it was very different than what I had been accustomed to mm-hmm. so I I was I had already begun the process in my in my opinion of deprogramming right and deconstructing a lot of what I had been given 
in order to construct what I felt like worked for me, what was sensible for me, mm-hmm. and the belief system that I wanted to live my life by. Um, so as you continue to have, as I continue to move forward, and I started to look at issues of politics and how it affected everybody's life on a regular basis, I was struck by the fact that specifically in the churches that I grew up, that I was a part of in my late teens, which were Pentecostal churches, there was right. no conversation around politics or social justice None. or anything of the sort. Right. Now, I did find that when I was a little boy growing up in a Baptist church, that even there was more, that like politicians would come. I knew mm-hmm. who Harold Ford was. Right. You know, I knew kind of the local people. I knew the mayor. I, I kind mm-hmm. of was paying more attention. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, jumping back to the future, we'll pass that. I started to think about these things in very personal ways. And as I started to read and research and understand law and how all these things work, I started to think about where we were as a people, Black folks. And I right. started to think about the, the ways in which we have huge disparities in America along racial lines. Right. So, so if you look at any metric, whether it's income, education, uh, incarceration, uh, single parent homes, in every area, Black folks are at the bottom. Yes, every even, single area. Even under Latinos. Yes. And I think that that's something that people don't really pay attention to, but mm-hmm. it is because no other people group in America has had the experience historically of, of, of Black people, which is being descendants of uh, slaves and then living through Jim Crow and segregation and eras of lynching and, mm-hmm. you know, so forth and so on. And so mm-hmm. you had that for, you know, for 350 years of this intentional in-your-face kind of oppression you can right. have. And so, and so, so that's kind of, it's a long answer, but that's kind of how I got to, that's what, those are the things that made me start paying attention was conversations with my friend initially, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then looking at the sequence of events of police shootings and, you know, all the other kinds of things that started to happen. And that came to the forefront of everybody's mind because of the immediate attention. Right. Well, if you're anything like me, you know, if you start to become aware of these things, you know, every single thing that you just mentioned, you know, you're going to want to start talking to your friends. You're going to want to start talking to your family. You know, hey, this this is what I found out. Hey, did you yeah. know X, Y, Z? So when that started to happen or if that happened, um, what was the initial response? What would your family say or what would other friends say? Uh, when I started talking to people about issues of you know race in general, mm-hmm. um, m- most people you know most people have a topical understanding, right? They they right. agree and, they, and it's very superficial. Mm-hmm. But when you start to tell people things like you know uh, almost fifty over fifty percent of kids six black kids six and under live in poverty, mm-hmm. um, when you start talking about the racial equity gap i'm sorry and i'm mm-hmm. sorry the, the racial wealth gap right the average white family has relatively one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and the black family has about 1700 mm-hmm. people are taken aback see your face right now like people are floored <laughs> by those numbers and this is a report that's in forbes magazine right and so forbes magazine's report also said that if we don't have specific um, policies in, enacted to help remedy this 
that by about 2053, 2054, about 25% of Black families will have zero or negative equity. I, I saw that, um, I think his name is Andrew Yang, who's running for president. Yes. Yeah, he, he did an article, not an article, he did an interview with The Breakfast Club. And mm -hmm. someone sent me a clip of him saying that exact thing. And I'm just like, I, I think what's troubling for me, Ted, you know, this, this isn't to take away anybody's, you know, relationship with God or their spiritual, spirituality or religion and whatnot. But I, Black folks in the church is who, I guess, has my heart the most because we're mm -hmm. constantly being told that God is going to take care of everything, you know, mm -hmm. late in the midnight hour, God's going to turn it around, you know, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you know, your best <laughs> life has ever <laughs> You know, these things. Sunday yeah. after Sunday, revival after revival, conference after conference, you know, we have our church leaders, you know, telling us these things. And mm -hmm. yet, like you said, we're beneath the Latino population now in this country. Sure. And so I'm like, what do you think Black folks, you know, of course, but Black folks in the church in particular need to do? I think that we need to have Black people who understand church, Black mm. who understand the religious kind of ideology, speak to that particular group of folks, which is why I have, am, am the only gospel who, who yes, is very consistent <laughs> in using my platform to speak to these issues because I already know that I have a captive audience. I know uh -huh. that having, you know, tens of thousands of people who follow me on social media who are quote unquote church people, right. they, they're going to hear what I say. And sometimes it, it, there are things that happen in a way that you don't, sometimes you don't realize the level of impact you may have, like what I'm right. doing and what, and what you're doing. But, uh -huh. but I will travel often and a drummer or bass player or a, 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 a whoever will say, man, I, I love the stuff that you say. I watch your, your videos or I read your posts. And I'm just like, really? Because you know, right. sometimes you can't, you can't tell when you don't know, but mm -hmm. I think that's what has to happen. We have to push the envelope. Um, I did an interview on the Erica Campbell morning show. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm always saying stuff that ruffles people's feathers, but I'm used to it. And, you know, we were talking <laughs> about prayer and the, and the, you know, the value of it. And I said, that I think, Prayer is a tool that a lot of folks use to communicate with God, to center themselves and the like. But, but prayer is not action. So I said, and to give you case in point, <laughs> prayer did not free the slaves. And everybody was like, <gasps> but I'm like, but it, and I, I get it. And I'm not disparaging prayer, right? But the point of it is, if we don't organize and take action, then, then everything will stay the same. And so, so, and so it, it is the people who the Dr. Kings and the Abernathy's and the C.T. Vivians and the, everybody else, you know, the, the Fannie Lou Hamers and all these people who right. were active, active. Who, who, who use their platforms to confront the institutionalized injustice that people yes. were living with on a regular basis. Right. And so we cannot just be lofty, you know, pie in the sky when we all get to heaven. We have to take measured, thoughtful, intentional action now so that we can deconstruct those things so that the people who are coming after us will have a better future. I think that's something extremely, extremely key that you said is that prayer did not free the slaves. 
Um, and, and we can just go to scriptures and, and you know, faith without works is dead, is dead mm-hmm. you know? And so what are some things that you think um, we can start to do? You know, um, I, I know I think, you mentioned educating ourselves and I know mm-hmm. you said, you know, take action, but is there anything specific that you see that we aren't doing that we need to start doing in order to put feet to all of this? Yeah, I think there you know are, I, I think mean? there are a few things and I think it's going to be different for, you know, individuals. So mm-hmm. one of the, one of the things that I think every person can do and, sh- and I've had this conversation with friends who are like, well, everybody's not an activist and I understand that and everybody doesn't right. need to be an activist. But everybody, but everybody can vote. Everybody can take a little bit of time (laughs) Mm -hmm. with your smartphone, you know, and, you know, chill out for a second on your reality shows and your Instagram. Love and hip hop. All of that. Right. And (laughs) that's a different, that's a different show. Like, like, take some time to research the candidates Mm -hmm. who are running in your area Mm -hmm. um, and, and vote for them. Like, that's something that every person can do that doesn't cost you anything but some time and it's worth right it. and, but and then a- but then at the same time i sorry to cut you off but at the mm-hmm. same time you you may have a lot of black people such as myself who didn't even see themselves um as a valuable part of politics until obama came on the scene that is really when i began to say oh mm-hmm. so you know, because again, representation really does matter. And so then my question is always, well, where do you start? Where do you, you know, because you're constantly being inundated with, you know, like Kamala, uh, either Kamala Harris or Kamala Harris. You know, mm-hmm. I actually at first was thinking, oh, she could be somebody who I can look into. Then you start reading a whole lot of stuff, you know, oh, she was a prosecutor. Oh, she's married to a white man. Oh, she did. You know, and so, <laughs> you know, so then it's just like, well, where can you go or what do you do to start researching? Is there a website? Is there, I mean, I know you can go to the candidates' websites. But yeah. how do you well, know I think this that is you're thing. getting good information? I think that I think you said something to me that's important, and I think a lot of people. I, and I want to kind of deal with this this thought this thought process because people mm-hmm. were saying, you know, I, I I I engaged the voting process for the first time when Barack Hussein Obama ran for president, yes. and I completely understand it, celebrate it. If you're voting, it's a good thing. Right. Here's something, and this is my weakness. Right. Tip O'Neill uh-huh. was Speaker of the House. And what he said, this is years ago, is, and I never forgot it as a kid, he said, all politics is local. And what we must mm. understand is the ways in which we are most affected is in the local, is the local politics. Yes. Mm-hmm. So who your governor, I mean, who your mayor is, who your yes. city council is, who's mm-hmm. on your school board, who yes. are the persons representing the districts in which you live, those are the people you need to, to know because those are the people who are passing, uh, whether they be statutes or laws or right. you know, whatever they code, city codes and ordinances that are going to affect you. So I live in Brookhaven, which is a small city right outside of Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm. It's the next city to it. So we mm-hmm. have a, you know, we have a really small city hall, literally I could walk to it in, in five minutes. We have, oh, our, we have wow. our own okay. little mayor. We have our own little police department. So I'm mm-hmm. aware of what's happening in my city. But, you know, next to me is Atlanta. So the right. mayor in Atlanta is Keisha Bottoms. 
I know I know a couple of people personally who are on the city council there. Mm-hmm. I have have conversations with them periodically. Um, so I'll give you a case in point as why mm-hmm. as to why this is important. So in Atlanta, they decriminalized weed, and so it's not legal. But they what they did was if you have less than an ounce in your possession, they will write you a ticket. Okay. Right? Seventy-five dollar fine, as opposed to locking you up for twenty years. <laughs> that's not something exactly. That's not something the president uh-huh. or your senator is going to do. That's your local government. And so that's why that's just an example of why okay. that is important. It's also important to understand DAs and judges and police chiefs. All of these people are elected mm. officials, right? And so right. if you have, or, or, or whoever the depart, department of uh, the sheriff's department. So I made an example to my nephew about it because people get upset. Black folks are mad when police shoot unarmed black, black people and right. no charges are brought. Right. No indictment. Well, why is there no indictment? Who makes the indictment? Who makes that decision? The district attorney makes that decision. That's why it's important for you to know who the DA is and be instrumental in put, holding that person to task, whoever it is. In, in Philadelphia, I can't think of his name right now, but they elected the DA recently, I think it was last year, year before last, who, mm-hmm. who vowed, I'm going to be the one who actually changes how we do policing in Philadelphia, how the whole criminal justice system works. There were lines of Black people outside to vote for him. When he got in office, the first thing he did was send an inter-office memo that everybody could read that mm-hmm. talked about how things were going to be done moving forward. 29 lawyers in a day's office either quit or were fired right after that happened. Because, he, because what he said to them was this. This is you know, so important to the point. He said, if you, if you charge somebody with a crime, and recommend this sentence. This is how much it costs per day to imprison this person. So I need you <laughs> to qualify and to, and, to, and, to, and to basically validate why this sentence, given this expenditure to taxpayers, makes sense. Oh my gosh. When See? you look at that in, in light of what, what you're saying that they did, this is the kind of accountability that we need across the country. And yes, the reason that that is happening is because Black people in Philadelphia were informed. They were told, okay, this is what the DA does. They showed up, they voted, they put him in office. And he is the reason that like the Meek Mill got out and all these other things that are happening there. And, and, yes. and police are being held accountable now. You have to have that. And so local politics, to the broader point, is super important. And so I think that people who are listening, who are saying, you know, it's all overwhelming, it's too much, it's, I don't have time. Just start on the local local level. Just start Mm -hmm. with your city and start with your state, right? And Mm -hmm. make sure that you're voting on those issues and you know what's happening. And then in a broader perspective, you do have the presidential. I'm not saying it's not important, but I want people to understand if you get pulled over by the police, that ain't got nothing to do with Trump. That is so true. That is so true. You know, and and I think there's also just a pervasive uh, powerlessness that I believe Black people in general just feel. You know, we've been, we've been in this state, what, this is the 400th year now, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so it's like, can, will there really be change? Can we really make change? Um, you know, like you said, it, it can be overwhelming. It could be, 
you know, and, and again, just this whole <laughs> overwhelming thinking that God's going to take care of it. Like we really don't need to be in, you know, if, if my child is having troubles in school, it, it, you know, either God is going to help him get out or Satan is mm-hmm. attacking him, you know, so it, it's a whole, like a holistic well, it's that be, it's I be, think, you know, it's because we use God as a drug, right? Oh. We use our we use our God idea to medicate the things that we're that we're that we don't want to confront and deal with. Oh, you know, yes. And, and, uh, James Baldwin said it best. He said, you know, to be relative to be Negro and to be relatively conscious is to be in is to be in a rage most of the time. And I've and so, experienced you know, that. Yes. Yeah. So when you are waking up, as you and I both have experienced over our life, and you and still are, and mm-hmm. you're coming, becoming more aware of what's really going on and how it's impacting people. I have a, I have a friend who um, works in DC in, in in healthcare, and he he was he's so impassioned about his work that he was talking to me last week, and he literally broke down crying. Just mm-hmm. talking about the disparities in black communities that he mm-hmm. sees as he travels the country because he really cares. And I yes. think as, as many people become more aware, that's what happens. So even this conversation that's happening in the public space now about reparations, you, you know, a lot of people are taken aback and put off, but it's gaining momentum. Why is it gaining momentum? Because black folks are waking up. Yep. Yes, we, we are, are. understanding that you cannot have hundreds of years of intentional, systemic, institutionalized slavery and oppression mm-hmm. and then just say, okay, we're not doing that anymore and everybody just move forward equally. Right. And I always make the analogy, I said, it'd be like me having two, two, two children and giving one of my children $100 a day every day for 18 years. Mm-hmm. And at 18, releasing them both out into the world and having the same expectation of both kids. Mm. It's not logical. Right. You can't have these expectations of Black people that we are going to just like, you know, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps when we have no boots. You know, right. Uh, right. the idea that a rising tide lifts all. And it was one of the things that Obama said that was quite critical of him on when he said a rising tide lifts all boats. He was repeating what someone else said. But my mm-hmm. point is, if I, if I don't have a boat, then I'm going to drown in the rising tide. Right. <laughs> right. not going to lift me. And so right. that, that, that presumes that everybody has a boat, right, in that analogy. But everybody does not. When we're looking right. at these numbers, when you're looking at, at, at you know, 47.5% of, of kids, black kids are, are living in poverty today. When you, mm-hmm. And here's the other thing, right, to qualify that, because I made that statement, and people are like, oh, wow, that's the, a, whole, a high number. But I'm going to give you more context to it, Shanoa. Like, okay. In the United States, with the exception of, I think, maybe New York and California, what qualifies as poverty, right, is a question. So I looked at the, mm. the data on that. So uh-huh. if you are a single person, just one of you, and you make $19,000 a year or more, you are not considered impoverished. So give okay. con- let that give context to where we are with the number of people who are in poverty. So that means if I have... I think there's two people. I think it's twenty-four thousand. So let's say it's me and a, and I'm and I'm and I'm married. Or I have a partner. or Whatever I'm doing, uh-huh. and we and we together make thirty thousand dollars a year. We're not considered not to be poor. in poverty. That's right. insane. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So most people are working poor. Yes. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And so the thing is that the, the the kind of idea that that 
I think that we have around, you know, religion and and the kind of, you know, pie in the sky later is I also think a derivative of how black people have were uh, indoctrinated and um, just acculturated as slaves and people yes. of color to not yes. think about wanting what you have now. Nikki yes. Giovanni said, uh, she heard the song, she heard the scripture. What does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? Right. And her answer was the world. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a whole, that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah, because about... you do, you do lose the world. And that's the whole thing. Like, if you're telling me that, and this, and this is the, this is the, the, the dichotomy of it all. When you live in America, America is a, almost a, I mean, it's a, it's a, an, it's an extreme capitalist country. Right, capitalism yes. on steroids. Uh-huh. So how can you live in a space of capitalism, preach to people in church about God's going to make you a millionaire and you're going to miracle this and miraculous that and you're going to meet mm-hmm. you know, all the Decree and declare, decree and declare, you know. Decree and declare. Right. Which, which, oh God, I don't want to get to it in the weeds, but even decree and declare are like <laughs> a decree. No, listen. Uh-huh. Because decree, when you decree something and you declare something, that's an authoritative expression right which is connected to kingdom ideology right where a king was the person right, who right. could decree and declare right, things right. and so the whole ideology of kingdom is hierarchical and patriarchal which is not indicative <laughs> of what jesus was saying because he's when jesus if, if you believe the example in, in scripture where the where the where the veil was rent from the top from the top to the bottom when Jesus died, right. which showed uh-huh. equal access, which put, which put everybody on the same level. Yes. So the idea of hierarchy should not even be inside of our churches, and kingdom is very much a part of how we think about things, right? Yes. Which positions yes. somebody above somebody else and doesn't yes. make people equal. So anyway, I don't want to get off right. the it, but, oh, Lord. but we're going back to the whole, the whole <laughs> idea of, of, of religion and mm-hmm. how black church has not been as vocal uh, now as it was then right. in, certain, in certain aspects is problematic. So when you think about the civil rights era and those movements, you think about SCLC, which was started by King and some people. Right. You think about uh-huh. the NAACP, you think mm-hmm. about SNCC, you think about CORE, you think about right. these, these movements. Here's the thing, and this shows you where we are. Every one of those movements, every civil rights movement in American history has always been connected to church. To the black church, yes. Here I we remember. are in 2019. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and, the, and the movement we're talking most about now is what? Black Lives Matter. It's the first one not connected to the church. Wow. So where is the church? Decreeing and declaring. <laughs> <laughs> throwing, look, thro- shouting, throwing, you know, salt out of salt over our shoulders and told to turn because that's just look that's just what i remember i remember (laughs) we didn't throw salt but that's funny i mean but i'm just saying it's just these (laughs) gimmicks and these things you know that we really think mm. but anyway in terms of reparations you know i like you said i am definitely hearing more and more about this, you know, Bernie Sanders has made a stance. Every political candidate no, Bernie Sanders now, has said he's not with it. No, I'm just saying, but it. he's uh-huh. made a statement about it. Yeah, meaning a that disappointing every one. <laughs> I, right, 
But I'm just saying that is so on the table now. Every political mm -hmm. candidate running for president is now expected to answer, you know, That's where right. they stand on that issue. That's what I right. meant. And so yeah. in terms of reparations, do you even think we're ready for it? Like if, if say, for instance, whoever, you know, becomes president and there was like, okay, we're going to, you know, give descendants of slaves, you know, $1 billion for, you know, however long or however they decide to, to dispute it. I mean, not dispute it, but however they decide to give it, you know, mm -hmm. um, do you think that black people are ready for that? Yes. We've been ready. Not only are we ready, we're over, we're, we're past due. We're over, right? we're but are we, due. but are we financially ready? Well, here's the thing. I don't think the reparations for me, it's not a check. So it's not okay. about finance, right? Reparations to me should be multi-pronged. So there should be free, free four-year college education for African descendants of slaves. There should okay. be, there should be interest-free home loans for descend, African descendants of slaves. There should be um, tax credits for people who are African descendants of slaves. There okay. should be uh, a guaranteed percentage of ownership for legal cannabis um, spaces in states where it's legal that are guaranteed to be owned by African descendants of slaves. There should be uh, proceeds from the tax revenue uh -huh. from legal cannabis that's directly uh, targeted to communities where African descendants of slaves live. So I, our school system, business uh -huh. loans, we can start loans in our own community and mm -hmm. the like. So I think it's a multi-pronged approach. I don't think I writing like people that. Are, I appreciate it. I don't, uh -huh. I don't think writing people a check is the answer. Right, because right. money money isn't wealth, right? And so what we're trying to do is close the wealth gap because the wealth gap is a direct result of African people being enslaved in America for, for 200 plus years, right? That's a direct mm -hmm. result of that. And in the right. redlining and not being able to, to, to and not being able to buy homes and like right. all the other intentional things that happen. So uh -huh. I feel like if you take that approach, then what you do is you give uh, black folks the opportunity to build wealth through going to college and not increasing debt, being able to be educated to get into the workforce, mm -hmm. giving us tax credits so we're able to keep more of the money that we make, that we actually mm -hmm. earn, and mm -hmm. not giving back to, to a government that, that profited off of us. Here's the thing I, here's the thing I want to write about this. So I did, I did uh -huh. the craziest thing in the world. Last, uh -huh. last summer, I did an eight-week road trip with six of my nephews all around I the I saw that. Okay. Yes. So one of the things that we learned in, in Savannah, I'm sorry, in Charleston, mm -hmm. uh, which was our second stop, I think, is mm -hmm. that the, the state of Carolina would rent slaves to people who couldn't afford slaves. Because there's this idea about slavery that all white people in the South owned all these slaves. Not right, true. that wasn't true, right. No, now, there were a few people who owned, you know, big plantations, just like it is uh -huh. now, a lot, a lot right. of the money. And uh -huh. then there were a few white people who might have had two or three slaves, and some uh -huh. who couldn't afford any at all. Right. But the ones who couldn't afford any at all, if they wanted slave labor, they would rent those slaves from the state of South Carolina. Okay. So what does that mean, right? Why are you making that point, Ted? <laughs> because the state of North Carolina, the government, benefited, profited off of African slaves. Okay. The whole so state. The, the whole state did. Uh -huh. So if, mm -hmm. the, if the state profited off of African descendants of slaves, why then are not African descendants of slaves benefiting from that state in terms of a tax situation? Where if, right. I, if it's a state that has tax revenue, I don't pay taxes because y'all benefit, y'all made money off my 
for parents. Right. And weren't paid. Right. Right. So, so I think that there are, again, multiple ways to think about this um, so that we help to, to, to give our, so that we are helped to build wealth in our communities, ownership of homes, of businesses, um, schools, you know, are, are better in the whole nine. And there's Mm -hmm. not like, this is not something that can't be done. It's about a willingness to do it. It's about a reckoning, a reckoning that has not happened in America as it relates to slavery. And every other people. I really do like that, Ted. I thought, cause I never thought, cause the, I don't know if it's the way it's been presented, but in my head, I was always thinking a check. Hey, we're just gonna, you know, disperse these checks well, out the, to, you know, like. I think part time. of the reason that you're thinking a check is because we have not really had an intelligent public discourse. Mm-hmm. So there's not been a lot of real conversation around reparations to no. even put forward ideas. So mm-hmm. I love the Elizabeth Warrens and the Julian Castro's and the people who are saying, I would put together a think tank. I'd put together mm-hmm. some people to look at the data. I mean, cause I, I mean, and this is again, my, my approach on it is that, and I also think that, you know, cause people have asked me, well, what about, you know, people who have who are biracial? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's, a, that's fair. And so I think if you're biracial, then it's been misprobated for you. I think we look at DNA evidence, we look at other things that we can use, um, just like they do with natives. Like if you have a certain percentage of Native American, you know, mm-hmm. genetics, then you yeah. get a certain percentage of, of income. So that's yes. not, it's not like we can't figure this out, right? It's not, right. It's not that complicated. Right. Um, and so you, you do have that. And you also have people who are saying, well, you know, what if you came here from Jamaica? You know, well, no, you didn't. Your, your folks was in Jamaica. They weren't here. So you got to right. get back to Jamaica. You don't get them here. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not, it's not the same. Exactly. And I'm not, I'm not, not despairing. I also, right. think, I also think that because the, the intended purpose, in my estimation, is to really narrow the wealth gap, I think that there are people who, who, will, who should be logically excluded, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Oprah Winfrey. She, no, ma'am. <laughs> Will just based because of how much because money they they're make wealthy now. because okay. they don't right because these people are wealthy and they have broken through right and they right. have been able to you know do things that have allowed them to to move forward um right. that's what so I basically think. all of our athletes and entertainers and you know the time well, i think we have LeBron. to look, yeah yeah i mean you talk about that kind of situation and again uh-huh. we have to qualify and we have to define wealth as opposed as opposed to just people who have, you know, money. Because I just think that I just I, I mean to me it's nonsensical that that Oprah Winfrey is going to get what you or I going to get. Right. It doesn't make any sense because right, we're tr- right. because the, the purpose she is she is not at you know the level where where a lot of these other people are. You know, mm-hmm. and so I do think that I think that 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 matters for a lot of folks. And again, so I'm thinking about like my my. I have eight nephews, right, mm-hmm. four nieces. So I think mm-hmm. about the fact that three of them have already uh, passed college age. I think about the other ones. Like, if, if they were able to go to four-year schools and, and their single mothers didn't have to worry about paying for it, like, that would be a huge burden lifted off their shoulders. Yes, And yes. didn't have to pay tax credit. They could do other things. And, they could, and, mm-hmm. that, and so I do think that there needs to be that happening. Um, I also think that there should be some people might not like this part of it but i think there should be some mandatory things that have to happen in order for you to appreciate these things like you have to have a financial literacy course 
yes. you have to take. Yes. Uh, you have to go Because that's what I was, because that's exactly what was my main concern. I mean, if we have a trillion dollar a year spending habit, Mm-hmm. And we're, and again, if, if we go back to the check, you know, you're just receiving a check in turn, you know, for reparations, then we would destroy ourselves. We would mm-hmm. be probably worse off. But mm-hmm. I love the whole, because it sounds like to me, you're describing a holistic plan, you know, to address, you know, spirit, soul, and body, mm-hmm. you know, in order to be healthy enough as a community in order to you know, be able to handle mm-hmm. the reparations that we receive. And, and I think that's just for anybody. You know, you have to prepare yourself for something in order to receive it, you know, rightfully receive it, healthily, you know. Yeah, yeah you do. Okay, I think so... That's it. Uh-huh. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Next question. No, go ahead. No, well, <laughs> I think, I think, I, we, can, I, we can go on and on about that, but go ahead. But I think it's, a, I think it's important that we do have these conversations and I'm very excited to see like hashtag ADOS African descendants of slaves like growing like on on Twitter like it's over I think last month it was over a hundred thousand so this this is a real conversation it is growing to your earlier point I'm glad that uh-huh. it, is a, it is a part of the questions being asked of, of potential uh, nominees who are you know mm-hmm. running for president um, mm-hmm. and I and I love that people are having to answer and so I may, I did a, a um, a post, a video on my Instagram um, uh-huh. recently about this and, and my disappointment in Kamala Harris and Cory Booker and Bernie Sanders not having specific agenda items for Black people. Because here's the thing, right? Every candidate historically has had an agenda for women. Yes. Has had an agenda for working class, for middle class America, which is basically white people in middle America. They've right. had an agenda for immigrants. There's one right now about, you know, getting them pathway to citizenship there's mm-hmm. there's an agenda for the lgb lgbtqia plus community so there's right. an agenda for every people group except black folks We're the why only do you people think group. that's the case why do you think that's the case because it is obvious to me that the black vote is the vote that's gonna put people over the top you know there's and all, do they I, get they, that vote yeah they do have they given us an agenda no do they and, still get and, that vote yeah. Unfortunately, there's, there's, yes. Well, there's your answer. There's your answer. Which goes back to us not realizing the power that we really have. Absolutely. You you cannot, you cannot win the South Carolina primary without Black people. Black people are 60% of registered Democrat voters in South Carolina. It is mathematically impossible. So if you have that much power in that space, and then you start moving around, you know, it, it's it's not as dramatic in other places, but the people up there's a lot of to say there, and so I, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of power there still, and so I still uh-huh. think that we are not having you know a broad enough public conversation around these things to understand the power that we have. So right. my point is this, and this is what I said in my post. Basically, if all these other groups get specific agenda items, black people deserve a specific deserve specific agenda and policy items, and the reason that we need not the Kamala Harris lift program, which is going to help everybody make it under $100,000 a year. And so when she was asked the question, she was like, well, you know, I, I do have this program that's going to benefit Black people. Lift, yada, yada, yada. And so the interviewer asked her, so is that to say you're helping Black people by default? Mm, right? That's the big yeah. thing to it. 
because uh-huh. she said, well, you know, because that's not specific for us. And right. she did go on to say that she that she wasn't going to have policy that just helped black folks, right? Right. Which which is her right to say, but right. it's also my right not to vote for her and not to support exactly. her and not to give her any more of my money, which I'm not doing, right? Exactly. Because here's the here's the beginning of it. There were specific policies that got us where we are today. That is true. So we that need specific so policies to mm. right those wrongs. And I'm so mm-hmm. glad I looked at your podcast and saw that yours had non-explicit lyrics. Uh, so I would call myself about to <laughs> use some other words. I, was like, oh, I can't do that on here. <laughs> but yes, so so because there are specific, you know, slavery was intentional, Jim Crow was intentional, all right. the other things we've already mentioned were intentional. We need sp- intentional correctives in order yes. to remedy these issues. I like that. I really do. Okay, so last question. Should African Americans in this country keep voting Democratic? Um, because the reason I ask that is because I have realized how powerful our vote is. And I was just, I'm thinking we can play this any way we want. Like, what if we all just decided to up and just vote Republican? Mm-hmm. In the same um, in the same numbers in which we voted for Obama, mm-hmm. Republicans wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, they would crazy. not. They would not see that coming. No, neither would Democrats. <laughs> right, exactly. But I feel, so it would I shift think the whole political the, system in this country. It would. The issue is that the 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 current Republican Party. Um, does not really espouse an ideology that affords black people, you know, anything like reparations or forward mobility. Right. But um, if in, we but I'm just thinking, but you're if, we, if we put a demand on it. If we put a demand on it. But yes. I think we can do that where we are. We haven't. We haven't put a demand on Democrats. No, we, we had, haven't. We had a whole black president for a whole eight years and we just projected onto him, you know, through, I guess through like some type of brain power like what we <laughs> like osmosis like what right. we thought we wanted and 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 there's a book by uh, dr eddie glaude who's a phenomenally incredible person i would I, I would recommend it to your your listening audience um uh-huh. called democracy called democracy in black democracy and, and black in black in black okay yeah, democracy in black by eddie glaude g-l-a-u-d-e and one okay. of the things that he discussed in the, in the chapter that was most difficult for me to read was a chapter on Obama. And, you know, effectively he said that, you know, black people had a lot of hopes of Obama and he never said certain things. We just, you know, assumed certain things. Yeah. And when those things didn't happen, and this is a conversation that we're not, we've not really had in the public space either. So after the first four years, I think black people were like, we, we love the fact that, you know, Barack Obama, was representative of our blackness in many ways, in yes. the way he walked, in the way he dressed, in the fact that he yes. loved basketball, in the yes. music and art that he loved. Yes. You know, he had, he had a, a black, black wife, wife, black, black children, children uh-huh. all of that. So the ways in which his blackness um, was was presented, right, from a cultural standpoint, we connected to, but yes. his policy, you know, agenda was very much in line with Kamala. It was very much a broad American narrative that black people kind of benefited from as a byproduct 
mm-hmm. but it didn't, you know, it didn't really focus on us specifically. And he mm-hmm. and he was asked about reparations, and he was not supportive of the idea of reparations. I, and I, didn't, I haven't heard his full answer, so I don't want to say what he what he completely said. But that was just a soundbite. But mm-hmm. but, but Dr. Glaude's critique was that you know we we basically didn't hold him accountable. No, nope. you know, as a, as a as a president, as as a Democrat president, um, as a progressive thinker, and as a black person. And I think that was part of the challenge. I also think that it is why there was so, and nobody likes to say this, and people don't like to hear me say it, but that's, <laughs> I'm, but I'm gonna say it. That's say it. why there was so much voter apathy in 2016. And I heard the president, the former president, on Tom Joyner. I heard him on a few black talk shows, Ricky Smiley. And mm-hmm. what, what, what President Obama was saying was, hey, you know, Black people, you know, basically, because that's who's that's the listening audience, have to really show up at the polls because it's very important that we don't have a President Trump, right? Which I agreed with. Right. But but, but the but the secondary and tertiary com- reasons were kind of disturbing for me because he said uh-huh. what he's going to do is basically erase my legacy. And he, you can listen to it for yourself. I'm sure it's online. He said that, so he knew this was going to happen. Yeah, he knew it was gonna happen. He said they're gonna do. He and, and and he made a joke. He said they would probably be so petty as to, you know, dig up Michelle's garden that she planted at, at the White House. But <laughs> right. but the point of it, this is where and this is where I feel like you know, if if I in my, you know, most humble way could could give the president a critique, uh-huh. I felt like that. I felt like it felt chastising to me. Okay. Um, and it also felt like, go vote. So my legacy is not erased so i felt like it was more mm. self-aggrandizing right okay. okay then it was if you don't go vote things are going to get worse for you right. and the whole country and i'm not saying I that see. he didn't suggest or say that but i feel mm-hmm. like that should have been the only point that should have been the only point yeah but i think that black people were just not didn't see what they expected over eight years and it just felt like they weren't going to see it with hillary clinton either so they were just like here's the and here's here's the, here's a you know, I'm always about numbers, right, and data. Right, uh-huh. So Wayne County in Michigan is where Detroit is. Mm-hmm. Barack Obama won Wayne County by about 60,000 votes. Okay. Just Wayne County, not the state. He won Wayne County by 60,000 votes. Hillary Clinton lost the state of Michigan by 11,000 votes. Wow. So let that sink in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that shows you how many Black folks stayed, either stayed at home, voted third party or voted for Trump. I think there were probably, I mean, because those numbers were surprising to me too. So to your question, I think that we, we, we you know, we, we have to do more to be engaged. We have to pay attention and, and we can't just assume that Democrats are going to do what we want them to do, even if they look like mm-hmm. us and whatever. Absolutely. You know? So we have to hold them accountable. So I don't, I'm not a fan of voting Republican because I think they could, they really don't care about us. Right. Um, they're not representative of us in government. Like, and the know. thing, of, and the thing too, is that, you know, I listened to um, 126 on Sirius XM and they talk about how a lot of black people actually have conservative views and live conservatively. But like you said, but because they don't even, and, and what at least it appears to me, they don't even address. It's almost like racism and all these other isms and schisms in our countries just don't even exist. And that's because, they don't, like, because they don't want to have that conversation. 
And black people are conservative. A lot of a lot of us are conservative. Black people uh-huh. are are really like, you know, socially conservative, right? Um, yes. But when it comes to issues of inequities and marginal marginalization, mm-hmm. because we live with a multiplicity of those, then right. we, we are, that's the other side of it. So you have the issue of race, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. You have the issue of gender, right? You have issue of, issue of sexual sexual orientation. Yeah. So if you are a black man then you're dealing with specific issues if you're a black woman you're now continuing with right. the intersectionality mm-hmm. of being black and being a woman right if you're in a, if you're in the lgbtqia plus space you're dealing with being yes. a black woman who's also queer right so you have right. all these things you're yes. contending with and so i feel like mm-hmm. republicans don't speak to any of that None and democrats have not done the best job at really I feel like they've done a, a better job, a way better job than Republicans. Clear. Just look right. at the, 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 the people running for office. I mean, it's it's broad, it's diverse. Right. You have, you know, Kamala Harris is a black woman. You have Cory Booker, a black yes. man. You have Pete Buttigieg, who's an openly gay mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Who, who if your listeners haven't, yes. don't know who Pete Buttigieg is, take some time, sit down, pull up a YouTube clip of Pete Buttigieg on The View twice or in his town hall. He is phenomenal okay. he is a 37 year old Rhodes scholar who went to harvard who speaks seven languages he's okay. absolutely in he's thoughtful he's he's very concise in his answers he's i mean he's it's like when i put him up next to trump it's like it's scary like this <laughs> like this, right. this this dude got a book that was only in norwegian Oh wow! Okay. And he learned Norwegian in order mm-hmm. to read the book. Oh he wasn't wow! Uh-huh. So he's really, 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 really like he's brilliant. So uh-huh. when you have that kind of diversity, and you have, um, um, you know, Bernie Sanders, and you have uh, Beto O'Rourke, and you have all these other people, like you have these a right. really broad, you know, array of folks. you know the Muslim, even the Muslim community is is being represented. You know, yeah, yeah, Tulsi Gabbard. I don't know mm-hmm. she's talking about um, but you have other people I think who are who are like being represented you're right inside the party so I do think that mm-hmm. I feel like a better a better goal is to be more to be more involved uh, as I said start locally and expand out from there know who these poli- these, these candidates are go to their town halls go to mm-hmm. their events ask them questions mm-hmm. email them or what have you hold them accountable mm-hmm. and then elect people who are most in line with the things that you want to see put forward, who you feel like really care about you. Like a like an AOC, Alexandria Ortezio Cortez, like she mm-hmm. is incredible. This woman was a waitress a year ago. What? Now she, yeah, she was a waitress. Okay. And now okay. everybody's talking about AOC. Like she's on right. Time Magazine's cover. She's talking they the Republicans hate her. But she was an, an ordinary citizen who decided to get engaged and do something. And that's what I'm saying that we as a people group, black people have the same power in that way to mm-hmm. engage the system to, mm-hmm. and to make it better to do what everybody else does because everybody mm-hmm. else and this may sound anti-american but every other group makes it better for their group absolutely and then, and then everybody else is kind of a byproduct right right so we right. have to engage in ways that will make it better better for, for us, us. Yeah. well with that being said do you think politics is in your future running for office 
Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? I really, and this is what I was thinking just hearing you talk. I really think you should have a website to mm-hmm. address, to have all of this on it to really educate we we need a hub that black people can go to and say if you want to know um you know like you said the wealth gap and all these numbers and data mm-hmm. go to www you know tedwin.com you know right. because i i think we need to be educated just in the basics yeah. of how we really are and and i think again and and i'm this could go into a whole nother hour, but that I think this is where the church has done the most damage because it mm. has literally had us feel like we're separated from all of these things that are happening. You mm-hmm, know, that's mm-hmm, the, the mm-hmm. it's the worldly black folks who aren't giving their lives to Christ who are poor and who are this, that, and the other. You mm-hmm. know, as long as we're in, as long as we got King Jesus. You know, and I keep going back to that because I just believe that's what has us sleep. I really do. You know, I think you're right. I that's think what right. has us the most sleep because, again, that doesn't apply to me. You know, that's my cousin who's, you know, the gangbanger or, or my cousin who's, you know, not married and having children. You know, that applies to them. That doesn't apply mm-hmm. to me. You know, and, and I think if we really see that we are all a part of this all of this is affecting us whether we're in church or not whether we're christian or not you know it's all affecting us and so let me close because we can go on and on and on and i just have to (laughs) and i'll just have to bring you back on yeah i love to come back um, because i I just had a whole like i had a whole 10 minute rant but i i I think we've given the people we've given the people enough to (laughs) yeah but everyone i just want to thank uh thank you so much ted it's been great to catch up and just hear your knowledge and understanding on things and keep doing what you're doing i'm watching and and keeping up between you and sean king and so many other people who are (laughs) you know check out andre henry i think you will really enjoy andre henry okay i will yeah um he's another brother because going back to Um, what you said about how we don't have to be activists. You know, he really does give you um, things that people can do, everyday ordinary people that they can do to really, you know, push this race conversation forward and, and, um, you know, be active in the cause. So, all right, guys, thank you so much for another, another wonderful episode of Black, White, and In Color. How can people reach you if they have questions about politics or just your career maybe they want to you know have you sing or something (laughs) (laughs) well some of them might not want to have me sing (laughs) but if they want to Uh um they can follow me on um i'm on instagram ted win t-e-d-w-i-n-n uh twitter it's official ted win um i'm on facebook as well and like yourself i also have um several episodes of my podcast is up now on all the platforms on itunes Podbean, wherever and that's what's the pers- name of your podcast i forgot perspective with ted Wynn. perspective with ted Wynn. all right yeah. you guys you heard it um everyone have a wonderful day and be blessed